Changing our behavior can be difficult, but necessary if we want to see change in our lives. This is true for every type of change we want to see in our lives from our health to our finances. And for the latter, this human-centered tech designer specializing in cognitive science believes AI can help us change our behavior to make smarter financial decisions, save more and retire early. In today's episode, we speak with Uday Akaraju, founder and CEO of Bond.ai, a leader in AI-driven financial insight technology to discuss how their technology works and how it stands to help us find more financial freedom in our lives. Uday shares how he was living in Silicon Valley, spending everything he got on the weekend, living paycheck to paycheck until he was struck by a financial emergency. And when he tried banks and other financial institutions, he was rejected. And as a result, he decided he would create a solution to this problem. So he started looking at his behavior and transactional patterns and set out to find a solution using his background in human-centered design and cognitive psychology. We also talk about how data can be used to implement UBI and why it has been such a beneficial move for the business. Now, if you like this episode, some other Brains Bike Back episodes you should check out are finding solutions to the challenges of the new decentralized workforce, connecting everything to the internet, our future with IoT technology, and who has access to your NFTs and crypto when you die. Disclosure, this episode contains a client of the Spacio Portfolio Company. First of all, thanks for having me, Sam. Um, so I'm the founder and CEO at uh, Bond.ai. So we are an uh, human-centered artificial intelligence platform for financial institutions. So there are a lot of buzzwords there, but yeah, we always focus on the human-centered aspect. So when we say human-centered, our AI platform really focuses on what humans or our consumers need so that we can really identify them, we can relate with them, and then kind of address their needs in the shortest possible time. So um, I would say, so human-centered is really, really important to us. And that's the reason why we named our AI engine as the empathy engine. So really, I mean, like when you say empathy, it's in the human-centered design world, it's about thinking like others, placing them in their shoes, kind of feeling like them and coming up with something that they actually want, right? So the concept of our empathy engine is exactly that. When we integrate our platform with financial institutions, we kind of take the consumer data, we study this, we pass through the empathy engine. The empathy engine basically now tries to put itself in the consumer's shoes and think like them, feel like them, but give them some insight which they couldn't think of. So that is the core what we do. We, are, um, we provide a financial health guidance, we provide financial wellness coaching for these consumers um, of us, which, which are in turn the consumers of financial institutions. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me because it sounds like the topic that you cover and what you work on really does um, cover this show perfectly or work for this show perfectly because we do explore the intersection between technology and um, psychology and human behavior. So it seems like we'll have a lot to talk about on this episode. Now, I would love to know, like, how did uh, the company begin? So you bring an interesting point, right? I mean, psychology, behavior, technology, I mean, all these have to come together. <laughs> So, so the thing is, I mean, um, this all started because probably way back, um, I was uh, living in California, Silicon Valley. Every, every, every entrepreneur wants to be there. I, I was there with, my, with another company at that point of time. So I had a good paycheck and you know, life was good, but 
like everybody, I mean, I'm a typical millennial living paycheck to paycheck, spending everything I get on a weekend. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a financial emergency and then um, it, my finances kind of went down. So it, it was a difficult point to be really. Uh, I'm laughing about it now, but I think it was really a, a tough, a challenging situation. But when somebody reaches that point, of course, anybody looks for help, right? So I, I was actually looking for help. I mean, went to my financial institution, financial advisor, everybody said, hey, we cannot help you right now. So, it, so I was thinking, I mean, if I don't get help at that point of time, when will I really need help? And when will anybody, when can anybody help me, right? So it kind of, uh, because of that situation, it made me realize that, <clears throat> that I need to kind of look back into what I'm, because nobody was helping. There was no way around for me. I had to design something for myself to come out of that hole. And that is the point of time, to your point, I was starting to look at my behavioral patterns. I was starting to look at my transaction patterns. And I was looking at looking at that in really in terms of two different aspects. One is, of course, how can I get this get out of this hole, but also looking at my behaviors. How can I change my behavior so that I can get out of this? So I have a background of human-centered design and cognitive psychology, which I never applied really into my life until that point. So looking at that, created a quick uh, a software platform and 18 months down the line, completely was out of it. I mean, just before that, I started using all these other apps or whatever is there on the, on the, on the market. But really, I mean, all of them did not help because everything was disjointed. Nobody was looking or none of these uh, apps or platforms were looking at me or my behaviors holistically. So it really did not help. So I need to, I had to come up with something which, completely gets me out of it and 18 months it was completely successful and I even had enough um, capital to invest in this company so that's how it started uh, I'm in short I mean not in short but in long <laughs> well I'm really happy that you managed to get yourself out of that situation and not only did you get out of it but you also like created something really fantastic in the process and like a solution not only just for yourself but for for others so um I, I hope that it, it was worthwhile in the end going through that tough patch. And it sounds yeah, exactly. like, yeah, you're, you're yeah. in a better place because of it. Exactly. So the thing is, the, the key focus really, I mean, has to be on habits and behaviors. That is, the, that is everything. Because I mean, whatever, say, for example, whatever tool you have, whatever advisor you have, anybody can give you great suggestions, can give you great feedback until unless you actually take it and implement it, it's not going to work. But that's really, really tough. If you see from a human psychology or a human behavioral standpoint, changing behavior is the most difficult thing on this planet. So, yeah. so, our plat so basically, that is the core intent of our platform. When we give these insights or advice to the consumers using our platform, the goal for us to achieve behavioral change one step at a time, we are not, not expecting that overnight, but we know there is a significant road, road ahead and we are achieving that, try, trying to achieve that constantly every single day. Yeah, it's a tough challenge. We are creatures of habit after all. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know you mentioned uh, the empathy engine that you work with or created um, for finance earlier and you covered it a, a little bit, but I was wondering if you would be able to go into a bit more detail about how it works and maybe like talk about the nuts and bolts of it a bit more. Sure. So to the word empathy, right? So we really want to empathize with the end consumer who's using our, our platform. 
So what we do is, and so like I said, we provide this platform to financial institutions, big banks, small banks, credit unions, community banks, or fintechs. So while they take our platform, basically the step one, what we do is we get the transaction data or the data of those consumers. Of course, in a very secure format, we don't see any sensitive information. We are all secured in that aspect. So we take the data and we run it through the empathy engine. What the empathy engine does now is, is based on the data, it starts creating personas of all these consumers, or, or, or it might be businesses, small businesses or consumers. So it creates these personas. But the thing is, we know that, okay, to really empathize with the consumer, you need to understand them much more holistically. So now we only have financial data and the engine, or we know that this is not enough. This is incomplete data. Based on incomplete data, the biggest mistake any AI platform can do is create personas, and which is because those will be very inaccurate. And the insights you give will be catastrophically wrong. So because we know that aspect, because the engine spots that, what it does is it also identifies what data is missing for it to completely understand that consumer and create that holistic persona. So that is where our front end, which is a conversational bot, comes into picture. So what it happens is while uh, the consumer is interacting with our platform through the bot, basically we the, the engine also tries to collect these information what is missing. Say for example, somebody asks a question about if am I using the right product or am I using the right credit card? So it gives out these answers about the right recommendation, but also it also collects some information at that particular context. So for example, the classic example you always give is somebody asks, uh, if they are using the right credit card, the engine basically goes back and gives them an insight. Okay, no, you're not using the right credit card, but this is the right credit card for you. But while doing the recommendation, it also sees from their data that they have been traveling quite a bit. So it pops out a random question out of nowhere. Hey, I see you travel quite a bit. What is your favorite airline? So the consumer says, okay, United or Delta. And that is one data point we get. So it, this is a very small example but things like this add up and that is how we kind of understand the strengths the weaknesses the potential the we and all that of, of the consumer now we holistically kind of create that persona and every step of the way i think we try to now the engine uh, tries to think like them try to feel like them like they're with their interests and strengths and weaknesses and now keeps giving these insights to them so that they can enhance their financial health most importantly, right, like I said, it thinks like them, feels like them, but it gives an insight what they couldn't think of. That is the key thing to change I mean, their behaviors, because if they have thought about something, they might, I mean, already know that, but we always strive to do something which they haven't thought of by empathizing with them. That's really smart. Uh, I really like that. That's a really smart application of, um, yeah, the, the data points you have there. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on the topic of data, um, one thing that I've heard before, and I think it's been discussed on this show, is that data is the new, new oil. And right. I would love to know, as someone that works so closely with data, like if that is the case, where is the money and who is gaining from this? I mean, seriously, I don't know why we, we don't realize, because everybody says data is the new oil, data is the new thing. I think that is really 
the biggest asset a consumer has today. I mean, you and me, right? So we might not have gold or we might not have big assets or we might have, I don't know. But I think going forward for all of us, the biggest asset would be data. And it's surprising and it's shocking for me and our everybody at our company that we never see that is being taken, uh, being monetized by the consumer. Because the thing is, everybody wants data, right? So that is the struggle here. So banks say it's our data. Other providers say it's our data. Facebook, Google, they use our data. But the end of the day, you and me as a consumer don't benefit completely out of it. So what we have been saying is, I mean, if we have all these open banking initiatives, we've been having all these uh, great data initiatives like the GDPR and the CCPA where uh, companies have been saying, you need to take care of data privacy and all that. That is fantastic. I mean, going towards a very on, on robust data privacy law is very important, but I think what is still missing is who really owns the data and how they can actually monetize it. So that is our core uh, philosophy here at Bond is where we say the data belongs to the consumer and the consumer has to have a way to monetize it. So our, we are coming, I mean, very soon. I mean, we've been thinking about this for the past three years. How do we kind of um, abide by the regulation? How do we play by the compliance rules and still help consumers monetize their data? So if we are coming up with a platform where we give all the data ownership back to the consumer, whoever is using our platform. And now basically we will monetize that data. So whoever is using their data, it can be any enterprise, it can be any company, whatever they're paying to access that data, everything goes back to the consumer. So if you see, I mean, if you, we've run several models here. So there have been many concepts in the world like universal basic income. There have many governments have tried that concept where, hey, let us provide a minimum income to our um, population so that we can avoid poverty, we can avoid a lot of issues on the economic front. But they have partially worked, some have not worked, and it probably is not working as they expected. But what we say is if you use data as an asset, that dream of uh, equality and kind of stuff will actually be achieved. Because on our platform, we will give that uh, monetary aspect. So if we run our models, like I said, it will kind of uh, lay a path towards even retirement or even uh, early retirement here for the consumer. Because if they can actually really, because our data increases every single day and that is not going to stop. And if we start monetizing that today and end of the day, I think you can definitely uh, be, be in a very good spot financially. Yeah, I think it's, it shows great possibility for the future and i'm not sure if you follow andrew yang i'm a fan of yep. his and he's definitely mentioned and spoke about this and and how the um yeah ubi is obviously like a main point for for him and uh, he's talked about the importance of the, the role that data will play in that so it's definitely something which uh which we've discussed uh, a few times here before but it's really cool to to hear the points that you've made here and Additionally, another thing that we spoke about before the call is uh, DAOs. So can you tell me uh, now, like, what are DAOs and why are they important for the future of our money? So, I mean, this is a new concept, right? Not many people know it or not many people have been embracing it, but uh, DAO basically stands for a decentralized autonomous organization. So... Take, for example, it, it's just simply like uh, any other LLC or a C corporation, 
but it is completely decentralized. Uh, by decentralized, what I mean is these corporations, the existing traditional uh, LLCs or uh, corporations are have a hierarchy. They're probably managed or owned by a couple of uh, handful of individuals and the transparency is kind of uh, very less. But in a decentralized, uh, in the, on a DAO, it's completely opposite. So there is full transparency and even the decision making is not done by one person, but it's actually made by uh, the, all the in, in, in individuals present in that through smart contracts, which are pro completely pro pre-programmed or programmable. So what that is, it is definitely the next big trend because what happens is even for investors or even for consumers, it gives a complete uh, transparent view of what that DAO or what that entity is doing so that we can not speculate, but factually kind of see that every single day and make, we can actually make decisions. And on the other side, I think it can be termed like um, what we can from our fintech world, we can actually probably implement it like a shared bank account because now every user of that or, or every consumer or investor in that particular DAO is basically an, an owner of that entity. And they basically share a bank account and combined to all of them, they're actually creating wealth, which of course everybody will actually share. So if you have to focus on really the consumer financial health and uh, look forward to an equitable future, I think DAOs are the way to go. Awesome. I mean, that sounds uh, very democratic, I have to say. It sounds like, yeah, one of the most democratic kind of systems I've heard of in uh, modern technology. I love that. Yeah, you need not, the, the good fact is you need not even register that uh, as an LLC or a C Corp with <laughs> Delaware or anywhere. But I know Wyoming, some states are actually, even Delaware is coming up with uh, uh, <clears throat> ways to actually register a DAO. Mm -hmm. But theoretically, even on their website, they say you need not even register because DAO is in, it's on the internet. It's an internet organization driven by people. That's awesome. Now, I do have one, uh, changing the topic slightly, really. I'm a big fan of the FIRE movement of like a financial independence and retire early. And I can understand that um, Bond.ai is potentially very useful for this. And I can understand it definitely more now that we've had this conversation. And the example you gave earlier when explaining your empathy engine. Um, but I'd love to know from, in your own words, really, like, can you tell me how, how the work you're doing is helping this community? So in terms of fire, right? So we, I mean, I have been a big, I mean, kind of following that fire movement. I mean, for the, for the listeners, I think it stands for, fire stands for financial independence, retire early. So th this, this is a, I mean, this is a great movement. I mean, we see s several in individuals actually kind of uh, following that and trying to achieve it. Basically what the old way of doing or the traditional way of doing it is basically you live frugally, based spend uh, not much, but spend exactly what you need, probably less than what you need. You live very, very frugally and then save up. But so by the time you're 30 or 35, you have enough money to kind of retire and do whatever you want, have a good quality of life. That is what we are born for, right? So instead of retiring at 65, where we can we lose our prime age, so the, the agenda of the FIRE movement is, okay, live very, very frugally, just don't spend on anything, but retire as early as possible so that you can have a great quality of life in the future. So that is the, the FIRE movement. It is fantastic. I mean, you retire early, you will have a great life and you have the finances, you can be doing whatever you want in life rather than work somewhere we, you, which we do, you don't enjoy. 
But what we say is, yes, I mean, the fire movement is fantastic, but how will you achieve it, right? I mean, not, so you can achieve it only if you have a great paycheck and then you live frugally. So those are two parameters not many people would have. It's again, a very select uh, group of people who have fantastic paychecks, but they can also live frugally. But what we are saying again, like to my point I said earlier, is the biggest asset all of us have is data and you're not monetizing it. So without monetizing an asset or without investing for your future, I think it's difficult to achieve that. So the idea, I mean, the, the basically what we are uh, putting forward is basically consumers using our platform, anybody using our platform, we'll help monetize the data. Like I said, the models show that they can earn a significant uh, amount of uh, money because of they're monetizing their data. And as a result, their retirement age will shrink significantly. So this is again, again, like I said, in, in, in conjunction with um, the UBI, but it is UBI on steroids because this is not just basic income, but this is more like meaningful income for the consumer based on their own data. Awesome. I mean, yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. And it sounds like it would really complement other kind of strategies. I have to say, the fire movement that I follow now seems to be less about living frugally and just more about investing smart or just being smart with your money. Like I personally follow the, a number of fire communities on Reddit and I love it. And um, it sounds like, yeah, this would be a fantastic tool for, for all of that. So correct. Yeah. Thanks for the work you're doing as a, what well, I, I would consider myself a member of that community. So on behalf of <laughs> fire, <laughs> or one yeah. from one fire member to another, I'd say thank you on that. Absolutely. And, and see, I mean, you, you see that, right? You are part of that, those Reddit channels. Absolutely right. So you invest smart, but still uh, there is a long way to go. Unless, unless and until, right? I mean, you have some aspect like this, which will actually make you money while even you're kind of sleeping and it kind of uh, makes signif a significant chunk because the asset you have is really, really good. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to make money while they're sleeping? <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Now I just have one more question for you and it's, it's kind of off topic, but I understand that you're based in Arkansas. Um, yeah. and you've obviously mentioned that you lived previously in California. I'd love to know, like, are you from there originally <laughs> or, or like, um, how did you end up there and what's it like running an AI company based in Arkansas? Oh no. So I, I'm originally from uh, other side of the planet from India. I mean, I basically had all my I was in that particular bubble there in India. I mean, I never ever thought I'll actually move out uh, of there, but uh, because of my previous company, I had to move to San Francisco uh, because of the investor base and all that. But like I said, I mean, it, it was great. I mean, it absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt San Francisco is, I mean, the Silicon Valley is still <clears throat> the gold mine, right? For the entrepreneurs, everybody wants to be there. But the thing is, I think what I observed because then as, as an outsider, there was, it was getting saturated. Like everybody knows that, but what I mean by saying saturated is uh, when I was there, I mean, these, there were these massive funding rounds, uh, like the wealth distribution to companies was not proportional. I mean, I might be completely wrong, but this is my view there, but it was the, most of the funding was going to these big companies. I mean, companies like, I mean, Uber or these guys were uh, taking a lot of capital what that was doing is there were some, so many other smaller companies which were not, which are fantastic, but I mean, they just did not get access to capital. 
so that that the so i mean and this is a world where i think um, you can be anywhere so before you for you to create a prototype i mean you had to have the right resources you have to had to be in the right place nowadays you absolutely can be anywhere as an entrepreneur the fundamental thing we want to do is extend our runway as much as possible but uh, staying in those high cost of living zones will stretch your dollar i mean not by much you will basically end up dry and you need to raise more money it's not efficient for you as an entrepreneur it's not efficient for the company it's even not efficient for the investor so i happened i mean I, then i moved to new york for some time it was a similar experience i mean nothing wrong with those cities i never mind going back to them but um, i came to arkansas because uh, of uh, a company called fis uh, they had a incubator program here and the, the, the work we were doing at bond they wanted to come up, um, <clears throat> make us part of it so i ended up in little rock so when i came to little rock i think i quickly realized that i mean frankly i didn't know about little rock even before i came here but once i real i came here i quickly realized that you can actually do a lot of stuff uh, just by not being in the coasts right so because we realized that there was a lot of talent which was there for us to take there was a lot of capital which is absolutely there and most importantly for an entrepreneur the quality of life was amazing so it's a slow life you can do whatever you want you need not travel 2 hours in the morning 2 hours in the night to reach your office so the, all those aspects and kind of put together for us i think it made complete sense for me to relocate here because end of the day i think quality of life what matters for an entrepreneur if your mind is free if your mind is good you can actually contribute not only to your personal life but your professional life so uh, a, a data point towards that is in this company we haven't raised uh, much capital like a traditional silicon valley company or any um, east coast company but if you see at our performance it will be at par so it is efficient for everybody that's awesome i uh, i love that and uh, that especially speaks to or certainly reminds me of aspects of the the fire community where they it's commonly discussed like where you live and how much you pay for rent how much you pay for bills and commuting and everything and um i understand the midwest is quite a popular spot for for relocating at the moment i've heard ohio is another popular location um, right. which is which is quite appealing for the similar aspects that you've spoken about and yeah, uh, yeah i i completely understand your your motive for for doing that and i think it's quite smart and i'm really happy that you you've um yeah for found a really place found a really nice spot for yourself yeah it goes back like you said absolutely goes back to that fire moment you lived that right <laughs> so yeah goes goes back to that for sure i mean also i mean it's, it's surprising if you see it's walmart is here i mean it's a fortune probably the top company earning revenue walmart is here fis is fidelity is here i mean you have jb hunt you have like four fortune companies 100 companies mm-hmm. so yeah it's not i mean if you look at like you said the places like denver austin i mean there are great places other than the coast for entrepreneurs to go and make most of it awesome well thank you so much for our conversation today that's it for all my questions the only thing that i've got left for you is really if you could share with our listeners where they can find out more about the work that you're doing and the work that bond ai dot ai is doing yeah absolutely i think linkedin twitter is the best place to find me or both bond so please feel free to reach out to me on linkedin i'm i i can say i'm quite uh, reasonably responsive <laughs> but <laughs> I, but i will make sure I, i basically i make sure i'll respond every everything and i think like i said as a human centered designer feedback and talking to everybody is what i really love so 
find, uh, look forward to connect with your listeners. Fantastic. And we'll include some links in, um, to your LinkedIn and to the company's website in our show notes. But otherwise, uh, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam, for having us and uh, talking about me and Bon. Growing a company has many hurdles, from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search. Each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that's where our sponsor Publicize comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It does not charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds on your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive a social media assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's publicize.co slash BBB. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.